exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. My name's Chuck, and I have the privilege of speaking with you today. I'm a member of the oversight team, and I've been attending Pearl Church since 2009, so I've been around here for about 12 years with my wife. Um, Although I planned to speak during August a few weeks ago, I was not feeling so well that day, so we decided to postpone as an out of an abundance of caution. We didn't think it would be good for me to take my mask off and cough all over you guys. It, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't COVID, uh, according to the three tests I took, at least. Um, so, yeah, I, as a recap and sort of to rewind two weeks, um, I really enjoyed the oversight team's sharing during August. Um, as you might remember, Mike kicked off the oversight team speaking series on a Sunday that also happened to be Pearl Church's 20th birthday. Uh, Along with that, it was the first Sunday we had an in-person offering in 17 months since the pandemic began. So it was a a Sunday to celebrate. And Mike beautifully recounted Pearl Church's arc from dogma at its founding towards inclusion and focus on human flourishing under divine love. He spoke of repentance at Pearl Church as being a positive force to help us move away from harmful restricted harmful and restrictive practices, and towards the message of Jesus' divine inclusion for all. Uh, The following week, Linda did an amazing job speaking about her spiritual journey as it progressed from a focus on shame to a focus on compassion. I appreciated her observation that the focus on shame encourages, encourages a quest for perfection to earn God's love. Um... And that quest for perfection manifests as barriers to others. Whereas a focus on compassion is bred from Jesus's, accept, from Jesus's acceptance and non-judgmentalism. I loved when Linda shared about her time in home groups as a place to be authentic um, and compassionate. I particularly liked when she calculated the 900 hours she spent in home groups over the last 14 years at Pearl Church. She said that was for my benefit. I'm not sure if that's because she thinks I'm bad at math or if she just knows that I love numbers and statistics. I'm hoping it's the latter, but I I appreciated it either way. Rachel uh, followed Linda, and she shared authentically about her and Kylie's experiences of being marginalized and excluded at churches simply for being who they are. Um, And before they came to Pearl Church, they they didn't find a a home where they felt they belonged. Um, She spoke of experiencing God profoundly in the outdoors. This is something I greatly identify with. Specifically, she spoke of the beauty and nature encountering God in northern Wisconsin at a camp that she worked for there that was run by Wheaton College. And then, after finding God, she was restricted from returning there. And that broke my heart, because I imagine not being able to return to places where I feel like I experience God profoundly, um, places where I feel acutely connected to God's presence. One such place is Smith Rock in, in central Oregon. 
And I'm, you know, I'm so glad that Rachel has found a home at Pearl Church. She not only feels welcome, but she feels fully accepted and she can use her gifts on the oversight team. And she's a fountain of wisdom and I love hearing her insights when the oversight team meets each week and I'm just privileged to share uh, in this responsibility with her. After Carrie, uh, sorry, after Rachel, Carrie shared and she shared vulnerably about her and Andrew's hopes for their family in a way that inspires me to want to be authentic in my sharing. She spoke eloquently and scholarly about equity and anti-racism and how Pearl Church could be for a beacon for good in these areas. <clears throat> um, for myself, as a person of multi-ethnic background and who has both experienced racism and have much room for growth in this area, I really appreciated Carrie's boldness in raising awareness and outlining actions that could be taken around equity and anti-racism. And I'm excited for her leadership in this area as she's the youngest, uh, she's the most recent to join the oversight team. So her tenure is the longest. So she has a lot of time to affect change in this area. And I'm excited to see where she takes it. It's been such a privilege to serve alongside Rachel and Carrie and Linda as a member of the oversight team uh, with Mike. I'm truly thankful that we have such a wise, caring, and thoughtful group of people uh, working for Pearl behind the scenes. And I'm thankful to be part of the team. And I'm so glad for the opportunity for each of us to speak uh, in front of you and to be known more deeply by all those who can consider Pearl Church their home. This is my third year on the oversight team, and therefore it's my third time to speak in front of you guys. Um, I've found the process of distilling my thoughts into words to share has been really rewarding. Um, I'm infrequently introspective. Normally, I just like to do. Uh, and not think about myself. So having a reason to dig into my psyche and put words to who I am and to why I value Christianity has been a rewarding and a great experience for myself. It's, it's been renewing, I would even say. As an aside, I told a close friend that I was going to speak this Sunday, and he informed me that at his former church, each member takes turns speaking on each Sunday. And he recalled fondly when he would share each year for similar reasons as I just shared with you. Um, so I was thinking, perhaps we should do something similar here at Pearl Church. If everyone had the opportunity to speak on Sundays, Mike would have less of a burden. <laughs> We'd get to know each other more deeply, and we could set aside time for each of us to be introspective. So what do you guys think? <laughs> you see, seem a little bit reserved. You look a little more worried than I was expected. So I guess that's okay. Um, I would really miss Mike's insightful sermons if he didn't get to speak as much, and what a privilege it is to hear him speak so often in front of us. Um, the first year I was on Oversight Team, I spoke about the deeply Christian topic of forgiveness, and I described what attracted me to Pearl Church and my hope for it to be a welcoming church that makes room for people to bring their authentic whole selves and grow closer to God. For forgiveness, I referenced Jesus' parable of the ungrateful servant in Matthew 18. Um, this servant was forgiven a massive debt, but he couldn't bring himself to forgive a trivial debt that a fellow servant owed him. I spoke of how this God's forgiveness inspires me towards a, a, a state of gratitude and willingness to forgive others. And I believe that the Christian perspective on forgiveness is deeply good and can be a force for peace in our relationships and our society in our politics, and in the world. In the second year speaking on behalf of the oversight team, I described 
that Christ's love inspires confidence in me and helps me be willing to confront challenges. As part of this, I described my challenge to summit a peak in Yosemite called Cathedral Peak and the transcendental beauty and growth that I experienced from that challenge. My overall thesis was that the knowledge of God's love towards us can help us each personally push beyond our comfort zone and either find personal growth or to reflect God's goodness into the world beyond what would be possible were we not animated by God's love. I believe this is another deeply good aspect of the Christian tradition. This third and final year of speaking as a member of the oversight team, I'd like to reveal myself more deeply to you in the spirit of allowing myself to be more known and vulnerable. I'd like to weave through this a theme that Christian, Christianity, at its essence, should instill hope for us here and now, on earth, in our society, and in God's creation. To reiterate, to reiterate, my words will have two objectives today. First, I want to share more deeply about myself so that you can know me more deeply. This person, this person who makes church-affecting decisions on behalf of the oversight team. Second, I want to share my thoughts on the message of hope that I see throughout Christ's teachings and the Bible, in the Bible and how that gives me optimism for our world, our faith, and for Pearl Church itself. I want to start out by saying that it doesn't come naturally for me to speak deeply about myself. My nature and my upbringing is to be more of a doer than a talker. Although we have a desire, I think we all have a desire at some level to be known. I think that desire is somewhat muted in me. It's scary to, be, to open up and make yourself vulnerable. Although it's unnatural for me to allow myself to be deeply known, I've seen it modeled so well by people at Pearl Church and in my home groups, and I've seen the unity it can bring, and I feel privileged when others allow themselves in, to have me into their lives and share deeply uh, with me. So it's my intent to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable in sharing about myself. Regarding the chosen topic of hope, I realize that, feel, that this feels like an odd topic given the pandemic, the Delta variant, climate change, wildfires, and racial inequities prevalent today. But I believe that Christianity offers an important perspective on hope in the world, and that it's valuable to spend time exploring it. Perhaps all the chaos we have been witnessing makes exploring the topic of hope even more important. Okay, in sharing about myself, let me start off with how you might describe me on paper. Believe it or not, even some of these topics are difficult for me to open up about. My wife, Harriet, and I have two kids. Our boy, Elliot, will turn nine in December. Our girl, Gabby, turned six in July. On the topic of birthdays, I celebrated my 40th this year. And although there was no party due to COVID-19 or pandemic concerns, it still felt significant. It's a milestone that feels appropriate to me to celebrate, to celebrate the gift of the many years I've lived and noticing that my remaining years are precious, but to celebrate with a resolve to do the most with each future day God gives me. In my regular day-to-day -day life, I'm a computer engineer with 20 plus years in the microprocessor design industry. In 2009, I successfully defended a PhD thesis on decimal floating point arithmetic so I'm capable of presenting boring information for hours. <laughs> My hobbies have included things as wide-ranging as gardening, chess, skateboarding, rock climbing, skiing, competitive computer programming, running, cooking, investing, baking, biking, piano playing, and or coaching sports such as soccer, baseball, table tennis, and ultimate frisbee. 
So I wasn't kidding about being a doer. The only social media account I have is Facebook, but it's been 10 years since I posted or read other people's posts. I don't even know how to use Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. In fact, I actually had to do a Google search to come up with that list. <laughs> Luckily, we have Rachel on our oversight team who does know how to use social media. Um, but after sharing my lack of modern skills, I'm worried what you'll think of me. This guy is boring and out of touch. This is why it's scary for me to open up. Maybe I shouldn't tell you that I struggle to sit long enough to watch movies, TV shows, or NFL games. But ironically, for some reason, I can watch a baseball game, especially the team I grew up cheering for, the Astros. Yeah, 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 the same Astros who were recently exposed for banging on trash cans to telegraph to the batter what the pitcher was about to throw, the type of pitch the pitcher was about to throw. I still cheer for them even though I can't stand cheering, uh, can't stand cheating. But I will point out that Mike still cheers for Tom Brady. I told you I'd try to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. This sort of feels like confession. Um, now you know some of my secrets, my dirty secrets. Let me share my family background. I'm the second child of two. Uh, two loving, sorry, I'm the second child of two loving, smart, and fiercely independent parents who divorced when I was in fifth grade. I was born in Los Angeles, lived briefly in Philadelphia, but grew up in the suburbs of Houston from kindergarten through the end of high school. I attended college in Austin, Texas, and graduate school in Madison, Wisconsin. My older sister still lives in Austin, Texas, and we're great friends, even though we don't see each other as much as we'd like. My parents and my wife's parents are still in the Houston area. My introduction to church was in my childhood, and my mom took me to a Methodist church in the suburbs of Houston. I participated in choir, Sunday school, and went through Methodist confirmation class. Although I did have positive experiences at the Methodist Church, unfortunately, my lasting overall impression uh, was that this church was primarily a social club where people went, on, went to put on a good face. This Christian experience didn't stand out to me as anything noteworthy, and I had a general distaste and disinterest for going to church. I'll also note that I recall my mom eventually being marginalized in the church after having gone through a divorce which didn't help with my perception of the church. The years after my parents were divorced were dark years for me, and I remember being angry and unkind to those around me. A few years into this, I found comfort in reading through the Bible. Among other passages, I took particular interest in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a wisdom book told from the perspective of a teacher during the time of kings. It examines the meaningfulness of different pursuits in life, like wealth, inheritance, work, materialism, power, with a common refrain that this too is meaningless. It points out that envy, greed, ambition uh, often motivate things, uh, sorry, it points out that envy, greed, and ambition often motivate such pursuits, and that these are not what we want to animate us. The book concludes, after many seeming contradictions following, following the shape of our human experience, that living a life Keeping God's commandments and pursuing goodness is what gives life meaning. Ecclesiastes scattered wisdom amidst despair with a firm conclusion spoke to my young soul and still very much shapes my perspective today. Let me take a moment to observe that this message in Ecclesiastes is, is a hopeful message to me. 
For me, when I feel prideful, ambitious, selfish, jealous, or materialistic, the messages in Ecclesiastes can help frame my thinking in a larger context. I believe that these feelings can plant these feelings like uh, pride, ambition, self selfishness, jealousy, materialism can plant seeds uh, of division and isolation in our world that can lead to larger problems like war and even climate change. Were we to all step back and contemplate the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, I believe it would be harder for these seeds to germinate, and perhaps there would be less strife in this world. To me, this is hopeful and an aspect of Christianity that's deeply good. In high school, I had a friend in English class. His name was Chris Mann. He was a Christian, and he was the first Christian I had met who I felt actually lived out the teachings of Jesus' love and goodness. And I could see in the way he lived his life that to him, Christianity was more than just a social club. He modeled kindness, patience, humility, and service. This was a hopeful realization to me, that, that the Christianity that I had been reading about in the Bible could actually be practiced in an authentic way. I learned a lot from Chris, his family, and his church. Some messages that really stand out for me during this time are those of non-judgment. Recall the story in John chapter 8 when Jesus was at the Mount of Olives and the Pharisees bring to him a woman who was caught in adultery and they want judgment from Jesus. Jesus' reply is so profound and a clear message of hope for me. Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. This is aligned with his teachings in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is part of a theme of non-judgment that is so strong in the Bible. I wonder how we Christians became judgmental sometimes. The message of non-judgmentalism goes hand in hand with self-introspection, inclusiveness, peace, peace, and empathy. Again, I see these messages as deeply Christian and deeply good, and such messages give, us, give me hope for our future. In college, at my first week in the dorms, I befriended two other Christians in the hallway, and we formed an ad hoc group that met weekly that we called A Bunch of Guys Looking for God, where we invited people of all beliefs to come and share their spiritual journey and look at Bible stories together. One of the hope inspiring stories I remember from this meeting was from these meetings was Luke 15 where Jesus tells a story of the lost coin the lost sheep and the prodigal son to me these stories are stories of God's acceptance and imagery of God rejoicing over us let me read uh, one of the stories this is the story of the, the lost sheep then Jesus told them this parable Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I think a whole sermon could be given on just this story and the two that follow it. But I want to highlight that God's rejoicing over us is a message of acceptance. And for me, that's hope-filled. If, a, if messages like this were shared with the outcast, the marginalized, and those to whom the dom dominant voice of the society of our society tell are unimportant, 
I think we would see more equity in our society. To me, God is saying that we're all important. We're all equal in God's eyes. Would we see so many injustices in our society if this message was widely spoken and internalized? I certainly think it would be better, and that's a message of hope for me. On the topic of equity, and very much on the topic of racial equity and anti-racism, there are messages of, messages of hope in the Bible that I want to emphasize. Do you remember when Samuel was sent to pick the successor to King Saul from among Jesse's sons? Jesse has several strong-looking sons who look the part to be king. But God tells Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, do not consider his appearance. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This on its own stands to me as biblical support for anti-racism. But I would argue it's part of a larger theme in the Bible of not drawing arbitrary divisions. Paul writes in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans 2.28 advocates that God is not concerned with outwardly apparent attributes, but rather attributes of the heart. These deeply Christian messages have the potential to transform societal thinking on justice, equity, racism, and that brings me great hope. I take hope in what Pearl Church is already doing to emphasize good and true Christian practice. In Mike's recounting of Pearl Church's history a few weeks ago, he spoke of why Pearl Church exists, which I'll repeat here as it's hope-filled and inspires optimism for me and for our future and our purpose. He said, it's a glorious religious tradition that makes space for people to belong, to think deeply about God, and to graciously follow in the way of Jesus as we continue to wake up to and be shaped by divine love. In the same spirit of hope is Jesus' proclamation in the temple unrolling of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. Jesus says when he unrolls the, the scroll, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of favor of the Lord. Finally, let me encourage you to take part in God's work so that the hope we have for a better future can become realized. In Revelation 21, John writes of a new heaven and a new earth, saying, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, or the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated at the, the throne says, I am making everything new. This gives me heart that God is doing good work in the world and can progress our society towards goodness. And I want to be part of this realization. At Pearl Church, we have a great opportunity to propagate Jesus' message of conclusion, non-judgmentalism, selflessness, and renewal. These are all deeply Christian messages and amount to a message of hope. As I've seen so many Christians who take these messages to heart and abide in them deeply, this gives me a hope for humanity, hope for creation, and hope for the world that our kids will inherit. With Christ as our guide and with God's providence, I take faith that the following biblical teachings, that the biblical teachings of Christianity can become an overwhelming force for good in our society. I believe that Pearl Church is part of this body of Christian goodness and I'm excited to see us progress down this path as a community, in our community, and in the world. Please pray with me again. Dear Lord, 
we again thank you for the gift of today and each day. Please help us today see and feel your goodness, to reflect your goodness in the world, and to find hope for the future of our society and our world in your teachings. Amen. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you.